Hi, I'm Adam Russell, and I'm the division director for the AI division at the University of Southern California's Information Sciences Institute. As I'm relatively newly minted, I'm using this podcast as an opportunity to reach out and get to know more about my colleagues, that is the humans who are behind AI at ISI. I'm reaching out to get to know them, first of all, because I'll be working with them, but also because I actually believe that getting to understand the humans behind AI is going to be really important. We're trying to understand where we're going with AI. And I wanna to get to know these people because if AI is a technical revolution, then like with most other revolutions, it's ultimately about the people. And this revolution will be about the people who make the tech, certainly, the people who spread it, the people who use it, the people who control and regulate it, but it will also be about the people who benefit and those who lose from it. And ISI and the AI division, our humans are adopting this mission to try and make sure that the revolution that's happening benefits all of us. So I think knowing the people behind AI might help us get a better sense and hopefully build some optimism of how that can happen. My guest today is Mayar Kayatkoi. Mayar, so for the record, we have not yet actually met in person. Is that true? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's also bizarre, but that's the world we live in. Uh, so we're meeting over Zoom. Uh, Mayar, one of the um, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is to ask questions that are beyond just uh, your technical work. Partly because I can get a good sense of your technical work with the things you publish, but partly because the technical work is what you do. I'm really interested in why you do it. Um, so we will touch on the technical stuff insofar as, yeah, that's important for, for people to know. But so some of these questions may be a, a little out of left field, uh, but I appreciate your being willing to tolerate them. So how long have you actually been at ISI? Uh, it's been like, uh, so I guess like here and four or five months. So I'm pretty new as well. A year and a half, huh? Yeah. Well, good thing nothing, nothing's changed in AI in the last year and a half, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the like state of AI. Like every it's it's not even every year, it's like every week there is new things. It is it is crazy. Um okay, so given that rate of change, there's a little thought experiment I like to do to set this up. We're going to take you back in time. Originally I had people talking to their six-year-old selves. I think that's probably because y'all are brainiacs. And so at six, I'm sure you could understand it. Let's instead talk to your 12-year-old self and explain to your 12-year-old self what you sort of what you sort of do. Uh, technically here at ISI? Yeah, so to my 12 years old, uh, I, I would say what I try to do is uh, try to help computers understand how the world around them works close to how we understand it. In a sense, I'm interested in being able to build uh, what's now more or less called like digital twins Originally, like uh, humans observe a phenomenon and then they go in their computers, they try to code up all the rules that govern that phenomenon and then uh, basically try to like interact with it. What uh, I'm interested in doing is basically skip that human uh, rule finding part of it. Okay. Uh, so your certainly brilliant 12-year-old self has a couple more questions, if you don't sure. mind. Let's go. Uh, the first is, why would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. the, the main thing is like simulations are generally very helpful to science. Uh, let, let's take an example. Let's say you want to design a building, but you want to place the exits and like all the pillars in a way that if there is a like fire emergency, people evacuate quickly. So there is no bottlenecks. For you as an architect to be able to do that, 
you need an understanding of how human crowds work. But building a simulation of that is very like expensive and it's also going to be very hard. So the idea here is what if a computer could look at a lot of human crowds and then basically internally figure out how human crowds would move around in the same way that we could figure out about how a fluid would move around. Uh, so this is where like what I'm hoping to achieve comes into play. So you want to be able to build simulations for a real world phenomenon like a human crowd only from observations and without having to like hand code rules of, for example, humans stand, uh, don't right. stand like yeah. closer than one feet or so. And so we don't particularly work that way anyway. You can write any rule you want uh, down in my six and three-year-old will figure out a way to break it. No question. Um, but my question actually follows from that to a degree. So your 12-year-old self says, what am I doing now at 12 that that leads me, that, that leads to where you are? Can you draw a tie there or is it is that too much fiction? Yeah. I mean, uh, at 12, uh, I was uh, already interested in like creating uh, like computer games. So a, a lot of that included kind of trying to create uh like realistic characters and like that behaved like realistically of course this was all about like creating something that moves around the screen in a way that's not totally crazy but i was always like interested in how that can improve i think that could lead to here so trying to basically get that like very simple characters to behave uh, as a like human or as a like human imagined monster would behave Uh, maybe an unfair question for you. First of many, I'm sure on this podcast. So what kind of regulations do we need on AI? And here I ask, because it's, it's clear that we don't want to stifle innovation, uh, because of the promise of all the things that we, we, you know, frankly, we'll need AI to help us solve the complex problems we're facing. But then this issue of, you know, we're, we're putting these really powerful things into systems. We don't fully understand it. Not that we fully understand how humans make decisions, by the way, right? We're pretty, sometimes we can be pretty opaque to ourselves. Do you, do you think it's premature to talk about regulations or how do you think about that? Uh, that that's a very uh, like hard question, actually. It uh, is a very hard question as evidenced by yeah. the thousands of people debating this right now in Washington, D.C. So I don't expect you to answer it. Mm. I guess but, it's just more of a... Yeah, but my, I, I can give you my uh, probably premature thoughts. Uh, uh, I, I really think we, of course, we need a regulation for AI as we have with any other tooling that is used mm -hmm. widespread in industry. But I, I also think that regulations should address a very fundamental question of like how these models are being evaluated should become very transparent. Like evaluations are not super clear and not super statistically uh, robust and like careful. I would like to see like companies when they release a new model be very specific on what is the data that this model is being evaluated on? How was it evaluated? And what were the like failure cases? What were the like uh, success cases? I, I think that evaluation would also make it clear where we can trust these models or where these models are actually going to be harmful. I think that that would be like a very interesting thing to have as a regulation. Yeah, no, we certainly have those for for other areas, obviously drugs and other things that are put onto the market. Yeah, and there's some they they still get it wrong, which again sh should concern us. But I think your the recognition is that 
uh, there are processes you can place to uh, to increase that, that trustworthiness. That's fair. Um, so given the speed of change in this area, what advice would you give to a young person looking to get in into this space? And I'll use the term AI again very broadly. Yeah, th that's actually like a, a very good question. I I would recommend just really studying uh, like fundamental math. One of the things that are almost not going to change in AI is its reliance on math. I remember like when I started my like PhD, I was working with something called CAFE. Then two years in, I had to learn something completely new called TensorFlow. And then another two years in, I had to learn something completely new called PyTorch. Now there are a handful of new languages and I expect uh, like many more to come in the years. So, but like, what is like, for example, in all these languages, what is like consistent is that they're all uh, using the same mathematics. So as long as you have a good foundation of like how, uh, how the mathematics of it all works, you will be pretty well positioned to switch between these languages. Yeah, that's useful to be able to, to abstract into, into a, a place where you can work with it, understand it. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think math um, slash AI will ever lead us to the point where AI can be a best friend? Uh, I think it kind of already has. So I, I really, <laughs> for example, like my laptop. A lot of the reason I like my laptop is because it's kind of smart in, in the ways that I want it to be. So I, I for sure think like this will improve over time. It becomes even better and better. Uh, but I don't think it will be like best friend in a sense that a human best friend is your friend. Why not? So I think there is something about the human experience itself. If I have a best friend, I, I feel like a lot of the reason I call that friend best is because we have been through shared experiences. And since like, I don't think machines can ever like experience the human condition, you, you can still have AI friends, but they won't be replacing the need for a human friend. Okay, so let me let me challenge that a little bit uh, by pointing out how uh, I've always been told that if uh, if you want to know the future, you shouldn't ask scientists; you should ask science fiction writers. So I bring that up because I'm curious: uh, is there a particular science fiction book or genre or, or movie that you like that you think is actually pretty informative about where you think we're headed? So. For me, it would be the like book Snow Crash mm. from uh, Neil Stevenson, I think. I, I really like the picture that it paints of the future. I think that's very close to where we are going. I mean, the, the assistant part is already there. And then the, the idea that the world uh, like in the book is basically divided into like these regions that are completely self-reliant and they are very like AI heavy. I think that's very like close to where AI will take humanity, assuming like the whole industry doesn't collapse from like global warming or, or and, like lack of energy and, uh, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's underappreciated, right? How much energy this is taking. There's a step function there. Yes. Yes. When people like enter a prompt into chat GPT, they don't realize the amount of energy that software takes to actually give you an output. So it's by no means like sustainable. This is my personal feeling. I don't, 
Yeah, I don't even think that it's going to be profitable long term, at least like with the current technology, like because the, the just the sheer amount of compute power that you need for yeah. these models. Yeah, it's it's an open question of is the next energy revolution going to come from actually the AI industry because they're going to have to figure out how to do this in an efficient way. I do I do wonder uh, with some of the the easy interfaces that people have now to these these um, you know large language models. If you go to some airplane uh, or airline uh, websites, when you pick a flight, it'll tell you how many kilos of carbon dioxide is associated with this trip. So you can actually sort of choose to, you know, how much of an eco-terrorist you want to be. One does wonder whether or not you should have the same thing on one of these interfaces with the LLMs. Like you can ask this question, but it's going to cost you, you know, 20. For sure. So that's that's another good regulation for you. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, in, the, in the virtual world that you see, or some virtual uh, reality that's coming, it makes it a little bit easier to ask this question then because it's possible that you in this virtual uh, landscape might be able to have dinner with anyone you want uh, from history. If the topic has to be AI, who would you invite to this virtual dinner for a couple hours to talk to them about that? So I have from the com contemporary people, I would like to talk to uh, Marvin Minsky because I just really liked his work and his books. Yeah, and then it would be uh, like my second choice would be George Washington. <laughs> okay, come on, this is interesting because I, I'm I'm kind of like interested in the uh, the way they came up with the like structure and like what they had in mind and what we ended up having here in the United States. The excitement for me is like. I want to know to what extent, like what challenges they were thinking about, how they tried to like code that into rules and what, and better what became of it was actually like what they intended. Can I get an invite to that dinner? That does sound really good. I also want to oh, figure sure. out how, how he did it with all, all his wooden teeth. Um, it would be fascinating if they then pulled out like a digital twin and said, what well, was easy? We just ran it through the simulations and that, but it, it is, a, it is an, a great question. Um so let me let me ask you another question in this space. Would you rather see AI surpass humans in creativity or in empathy? So I think uh, I would go for uh, empathy. Yeah, because like one of I remember I was reading an article a few years back about uh, how the main issue with so I was saying let's discuss uh, the like recomm recommendation algorithm in YouTube. So. Right now, the goal of that algorithm is just to maximize your viewing. So it will just go for like whatever you're going to watch next. Right. Yeah. But if you had an algorithm that was kind of also interested in your health or kind of feeling how you would feel like after wasting a lot of time in front of your team. It sort of cares about you. Yeah. So like that's the line of thought I'm I'm like thinking. Yeah. Of I'm tracking on that. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. In your experience with teamwork, so teams work well, and here I'm thinking things like, you know, the Justice League, for example. Teams oftentimes work well when you have different kinds of people bringing different skill sets to it. What would you say is your secret power that you bring to a team? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say it's, I, I can think about a problem for a very long time. I mean, I don't know if it's a superpower, but I'll call it a power in a sense of if sometimes like 
you have a problem and then you're trying to like find a solution to it, I'm very good at thinking past your solution. So like if you say, okay, like this is going to work, I'm able to tell you why that solution is not going to be the best solution. I mean, I, I call it a power because I've noticed this in a lot of my friends and also like colleagues that it's also like very, you know, exhausting to think about something for a very long time. Absolutely, yeah. Because you, you just, at some point you want to be over it and just come up with a solution and move to the, like how the solution works and so forth. So for, for me, I feel like I, I don't feel that exhaustion. So I can really like think about the problem for a very long time and enjoy myself. That's a, that is a superpower. Um, and we do know that about human decision-making is at some point people would rather what they say satisfies than, than maximize. Right. Um, unless you're my father trying to find a, a parking spot in a mall parking lot. Good Lord. We'd be there for 30 minutes trying to maximize. <laughs> uh, if you weren't doing this, this would be the last question. If you weren't an AI and I realize it's virtually impossible to think about at this point, but if you weren't an AI, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I would be a physicist. So I really like, I, I wanted to be a physicist. I'm going to guess, a, I'm gonna guess a theoretical yeah. physicist too, right? As opposed to a, yes. a purely experimental. Okay. Yeah. So at some point, like I was really like going to like, this is in like during my undergrad. So I was going for like physics versus electrical engineering, which led me to computer science. But really like the, the my interest in gaming and robots kind of took the better of me. But uh, I, I'm still like, I'm happy with the choice. But if AI wasn't there, I'd probably be doing physics. Well, good for us that AI is there. Good for me, certainly, as uh, the division director and having a chance to, to work with you. I really appreciate uh, you know the work you do. I think is really important, obviously, uh, but that you do it here and that you give me the opportunity to to get to learn more about you uh, says says a lot about you. And I look forward to you know to doing more work there in that space. <laughs> Same here. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you, and thank you for like having these discussions. Oh, great. Uh, again, the pleasure is all, all mine. So, and hopefully the pleasure is also uh, those who are listening in, because I think this is a, a fairly unique approach to understanding AI, starting with the humans rather than starting with the AI. And I hope that you will join us again for our next installment of the AI Insiders, where I continue to get to know more about really my awesome colleagues, but more importantly, to get to know more about the humans behind AI at ISI. So that, like I said at the beginning, we can get a better sense and hopefully some more optimism that this will turn out well and that AI will help us realize benefits for all of us. Until then, fight on.